our Lord, God and Savior, King of us all, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now also John was baptizing in Anan near Salem. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute among between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all people are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting love. As maybe some of you might have noticed, today most of the readings, actually all of the readings, not just the gospel, but all the readings are focused on baptism. And of course recently we celebrated the Feast of Epiphany. And it's a wonderful message for the gospel this morning about the true meaning of baptism. And actually it's fitting because this morning we baptized somebody. So it's a nice reminder for all of us of our own baptisms. Sometimes people ask, why we have to be baptized, what baptism actually does. And in order to explain that, we can look a little bit closely into some of the details of the passage that we read this morning to see how it applies to baptism and, and to us. As most of you probably know, St. John the Baptist came as a forerunner, right? He came to kind of smooth the path or to introduce Christ to people. He's the one who was preparing the way for Christ. He started his ministry six months before Christ did. And he started his, his ministry preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. At the time, people were very cold spiritually. They were actually almost completely dead spiritually. Many of you probably know, from the time of the last prophet to the time of St. John the Baptist was about 400 years. So it had been 400 years since the people of Israel had been visited by a prophet, calling them to repentance, calling, <coughs> calling them to live a life that God is expecting of them. So St. John 
started his ministry, as I said, six months before the ministry of Christ. And he was extremely successful in those six months. To the point that the Gospel says, all Judea and the region of the Jordan, everyone went to John to confess, to repent, and to be baptized by him. I assume that if this happened over six months, near the end of his ministry, St. John probably had long lines of people to be baptized by him. He probably had huge crowds listening to his sermons. He probably spent lots of time listening to people coming to him, repenting, confessing their sins, every single day, morning to evening, young and old, everybody. His ministry, his service was successful, and by all accounts, very busy. Until one day near the end of those six months, our Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to be baptized, and St. John baptizes him, and he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes the world, sin of the world, and he keeps telling people this. He says, this is the one, follow him. This is the person I've been talking about the entire time. Even some of the close disciples of St. John left him and became disciples of Christ. Because St. John kept telling them that our Lord Jesus Christ was the one that they should follow. He's the one who is the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So people listened to him. And what happened? Those long lines for St. John the Baptist started to become shorter and shorter. And where are those people going instead? Instead of being baptized by St. John, where are they going? They're going to be baptized by the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the disciples of John came to him and said, you know, no one's coming to us anymore. Basically, we're losing business. We were the most popular people in the entire area. And now all of a sudden, nobody's coming to us. Everyone's going to the person that you call the Lamb of God. Because you're the one who made him famous. Right? It says in the passage, it says, Behold, to whom the, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified. It's like, you're the one who did that. You're the one who said, he's this amazing person. You're the one who testified of his greatness. So because of this, you made him famous. You were the important one, and the famous one, and you made him famous. And now he's the one getting the spotlight. And St. John, of course, he answers very maturely and he says, I told you I'm not the Christ, I'm not the groom, I'm the friend of the groom. I'm happy for him to increase and for myself to decrease. He says, I must have it that he increases and I decrease. Think about sort of in my practical, in, in your life, to sort of compare this to something. You have a friend that nobody knows and you decide to introduce them to your circle of friends and to your family and all of a sudden, everyone you introduce him to her, to him or her, they like him or they love him and everyone actually forgets about you. Your friend gets all the spotlight. They're the ones who gets to make the decisions in your group of friends. They're the ones who makes everybody laugh and gets everybody together. They're the ones who gets all the attention. How do you feel? Or for example, you know, someone asks you, like, I need help, I need to get a job. Can you help me? And you give them references and you, and you uh, network them with people who can get them a job because you find out that you're, you know that your work is hiring. Then all of a sudden, he becomes or she becomes the star at your work. The employee of the month, every month. You're the best friends with the boss. Everybody loves them. You become completely sidelined and they're everything. How does that make you feel? The same thing that we experience in all sorts of aspects of our lives, where we experience this and it's so painful, actually painful even to the point of death sometimes. This feeling of rejection can feel painful almost to death. Something is dying inside of me. 
It doesn't feel good and the more I don't feel good about it, the more I start to feel bad about myself and the jealousy that I have about all of this. What is that feeling? This feeling is death. Something is dying inside of me. Something is dying inside of me for what? So that Christ may live. Something in you is being decreased so that Christ can increase inside of you. So the message for the gospel today is that baptism is death with Christ. When we baptize in the Orthodox Church, we immerse people completely in the water three times as a symbol for the three days that Christ spent in the tomb. We do that to remind the people that baptism equals death. But what comes after death? Life. But whose life? Christ. St. Paul says that I who know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the baptism that we received. But every single day we have the effect of baptism in our lives. Death leading to life. The only way for Christ to live in you is you have to die. Actually Christ said this. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? It means exactly what he said about St. John and Christ. The tribulations that I go through, the hard times that I face in my life, kills something in me, kills the old man, kills the old nature, that the life of Christ can be manifested in me. When someone, for example, gets sick, goes to the hospital, what does he desire when he's in the hospital bed? Does he want, you know, like a big juicy steak? Does he want a fancy restaurant? He's trying to figure out where he's going to watch the Super Bowl. He's thinking about his dream vacation or he's thinking about his promotion. He's not thinking about any of that. His only desire is, I want to get out of the hospital. That's all he wants. He wants to be able to leave. He wants to go home. You don't care. You know, you didn't care about vacation or eating. Yeah, I used to care about those things, but I don't care about those things anymore. Now that I've gone through this, I only care about getting home. Someone goes in through a trial or a difficulty in which we experience emotional pain. And I promise you, those of you who have not experienced this sort of pain, emotional pain can be ten times worse than any physical pain. In the example of the sick person that I gave. What's the purpose of all this pain? <coughs> As the purpose of it is for something in us to die. The evil desires, like St. Paul says in Galatians, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do I get rid of those passions and desires? Is it by reading the Bible? Sure, it could help. Is it by praying? Of course. But nothing can give me the life of Christ more than the cross. Death with Christ, that the life of Christ could be manifested in me. There was a person who, they had cancer, and they survived, and they wrote a really nice book uh, called Do Not Waste Your Sorrows. In the book he says, that time that we have in pain is an important time. It should be a holy time for me. Because something amazing is happening inside of me. Something is dying by the minute. But someone else is living in you. Something is dying so that he may live in you. The problem during hard times, during trials, all of us focus on the one thing, like the man in the hospital. How can I get better? I just focus on how can I get better. Some people try to escape the pain. They don't want to feel pain, so they try to escape the pain through pleasure. How many of you have experienced this, or maybe friends of yours, have, you've seen this, that 
they have something hard in their lives and they decide I'm going to enjoy myself to the utmost that will help me forget all these bad things that are happening to me they don't want to feel the pain of the world or the pain that they're in so they try to escape their pain through pleasure pleasure of spending pleasure of food pleasure of lust and sinful things the point of the pleasure is to relieve some of the pain that they're going through some people take the route of self-pity complaining always about their situation playing the victim they allow the tribulation to spread into every aspect of their life because they get stuck on the question why me? why is this happening to me? so some people run away some people are broken by pain others begin to take their pain out on others they become irritable or angry at the world they blame others and they want to take sort of drastic action they, you know, they need to move out of the city, they need to change jobs, they need to get a divorce, whatever the case may be. So many ways for us to deal with pain. But the only way and the ideal way that God wants us to have in dealing with pain is to embrace the pain. Embrace because there is something good in there for me. I might not know what it is, but hopefully if I embrace it, and I don't go looking for pleasure or people or anger or any relief other than God, then God will reveal to me His will and His plan out of His trial. St. John the Baptist was going through a hard time. You know, you, you ever had the feeling when like, you're very, very busy at work, and then, you know, God forbid you get laid off. Or maybe you're a parent, and you're raising your children, and you're very busy raising your children, and all of a sudden your children grow to a certain age, and they move out of the house. You look around, and some of those people, they get depressed. Because you're so active, you're so busy, and all of a sudden, you have way too much free time on your hands. That's why people have like midlife crises. That's why they talk about like emptiness syndrome. They're used to living a million miles an hour. And now they're at a standstill. St. John the Baptist was going through exactly this very hard time. Slowing down very much. He's dying so that Christ may live. He's ending his ministry so that Christ can start. That's very difficult. But out of that death, St. John the Baptist was like a, a, like a star in the sky. Something like you only, or like a comet. You know, you see it for a short while and then it, it goes away. Christ said about St. John what was never said about anybody. Not anybody. Not Abraham, not Moses. He says, there is no prophet born of women greater than John the Baptist. So our death can lead to life, the life of Christ. Embracing the pain and the cross that I can find the resurrection of the Lord in it. It's a daily choice. Christ said, if I want to follow, uh, follow him, I need to deny myself and take up my cross daily. Denying myself and carrying my cross, by the way, are related. If you're a married person, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Marriage involves denying myself every day. Why? Because in order to make my partner happy, or people around me happy, I have to pay a price. Well, you think about, okay, what about sharing? I'm supposed to share. No, actually, the sharing is I give up everything. When the epistle talks about men loving their, li or their wives as Christ loved the church and died for her, what does death mean for us here? It means your way is going to go, not mine. But it's different from my way and what I want and what I think. I always used to just do it my way. But no, from today, I'm going to do something different. 
But why? It's going to destroy my personality. It's going to destroy who I am. It's going to change me. It's going to kill my ego. Yes, exactly. Congratulations, you figured it out. That's the purpose. That's the beginning of life, but not my life, the life of Christ. Who can accept and do this? Who can give up your rights and your desires easily like this? Who is able to say that that's good for me? That's the only way for our Lord Jesus Christ to live in me. Look at the verse at the end of the Gospel reading. It says, For God does not give the Spirit by measure. He can pour out His Holy Spirit without measure and make me a new person. Only through His life. And His life comes only through embracing the cross. That's what baptism is. Dying with Christ that He can live in me. So that it's not me who is living anymore, but Christ who is living inside of me. It's not my thoughts anymore. It's not my opinion anymore. It's not my desires. They're already gone. How? How can our desires go away? How do we fight temptations and lusts by the cross? But only when I embrace, not by blaming, not by questioning God, not by self-pity, not by running into pleasure, only when I embrace and, and I say, yes, come, these trials and the tribulations, they are for me, for my rebuke, for my reproof, for my growth. If this trial gives me your life, then I want it, I embrace it, I take it. We have to continue to remind ourselves by the example of St. John the Baptist that by our baptism we agreed to letting ourselves die so that Christ can live in us and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.